Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Spoiled Onions Show and Review Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and my co-host, Joseph. Say hi, Jojo. Yo, what up, guys? Thanks for joining us again today. Hey, this time we're uh, reviewing uh, Hail, Caesar. Uh, This movie was directed by the Coen brothers, Ethan and Joel Coen, known for their movies like The Big Lebowski and Fargo, the original. Um, I actually have not seen either of those. However, I have uh, <laughs> studied some scenes from The Big Lebowski, and from what I understand, there's a very... Oh, wait, I've seen Oh Brother, Where Out There, Thou. Have they... Did, the... did they do that one? Did they do that one? Know. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Well, I, I just saw... <laughs> studied a scene, if you will, from The Big Lebowski. It's the one where <laughs> he's throwing the ashes in the water, oh, but yeah? instead it hits him in the... It hits the dude oh. guy in the face. <laughs> oh, so funny. Well, you know... You know what? Like all, literally, now that I know they also did Brother Where Art Thou, all their movies are always so strange. It's not strange in a bad way. It's like different in the way that other films try to be cinematic. They're all about that awkward silence at times, like almost realism in that sense for where it's like one moment you have something very theatrical and dramatic and the next it's very grounded and very like real in the sense of, come on, and struggle yeah. as, if this, as if we're recording something live it's like well, this is this is interesting this is weird and in yeah. quirky and i think it's always intentional on their side i think they just like to have some fun with how they go about doing these these films and these scripts um but hail caesar has a pretty big cast um of course it has george clooney josh brolin uh, Alden Ehrenreich before he did Solo, Channing Tatum, Scarlett Johansson. You know, the list really does go on and people just show up that I'm like, hey, I didn't it know is, he was in this. Yeah, it's really weird because you watch it. And, well, and this is the case with almost every film that has such a full cast. But it's like yeah. glorified cameos almost. Mm, You're like, oh, yeah. especially Jonah Hill. I'm pretty sure right. he had just that one scene. It's like, okay, well, cool. <laughs> Yeah, 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 all right. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, um, he, he came to set right. one day, and then they're like, all right, grab a cup of coffee. Here's your check. Thanks. Bye-bye. You know what's sad is that, you know what's sad is that I bet I know what happened with that, but I'll, I'll explain later about why it is his scene might have been so short. Um, oh, you think they but actually, No, it. no, no, no. No, no. Okay, well, actually, well. I believe it has a lot to do with contracts, but we don't need to talk about that right now. Right now, I think first we need to do the opening uh, a trailer uh, soundtrack. Go ahead, uh, roll that trailer uh, sounds. Oh, yeah. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long since your last confession, my son? 27 hours. It's really too often. You're not that bad. Here at Capitol Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're gonna give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. (laughs) That was beautiful. I'm sure there was music. There was, you know, like some very cinematic music and stuff. Probably. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think I remember it. All the trailers were always super broad, and I didn't know necessarily what the movie was about from the trailer, which is usually what you hope for from a trailer. You don't want to know. Um, most, you know, comic book movies, sci-fi movies show everything in the trailer, right? The Hail Caesar listen, trailer, I'm like, what is this? Listen, 
I have seen a lot of trailers in my day, and I I am I have a theory that no one knows how to make a good trailer because <laughs> most of them suck. So, yeah. I mean, sorry, yeah. I, this is kind of a tangent, but I think、uh, if there is the job of if there's someone whose literal job is just to make trailers, they need to step up their game. So, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> they know what works. All they care about is getting you in the seat. If you felt like you just saw the whole movie and they butchered it, now there's there's a difference between enticing and actually getting somebody in the seats. Because if they no, can't but, get a guaranteed fun experience, I ain't going. But here's the thing, though. Like it, a trailer should leave you so excited about the film that you just can't wait. And instead,、yeah. most of the time, you get some weird smashing together of like three different songs. One of which isn't even a song; it's just like that emotional music, and、yeah. then like random bits of dialogue that aren't that are kind of supposed to help you understand the story, but really aren't because they don't want you to know all the story. And then when the dialogue comes in, the music gets turned down, and then the dialogue cuts out, and the music goes back up, and there's like this weird action scene. It's just terrible. It's terrible、yeah. editing, eighty percent of the time. Yeah.、Sorry. You like the Batman trailer? I I love the Batman trailer.、Guys. That is one. Of, I know what kind of trailers you like. Listen, there are only two trailers that I have truly loved. One is that one, which everyone should go watch right now. We'll link in bio. <laughs> and the、oh, second yeah, one. <laughs> I know. I say that, and it's like, oh wow, when this actually comes we'll out. Link in bio. Yeah. <laughs> link in bio. Anyway, anyway, the second one is Age of Ultron, which was the movie was a disappointment. I think the trailer is a work of art, though. I don't even remember, but. Oh wait, you know what? Yes, I do. The Pinocchio one. Yes, the Pinocchio slow song, and then at the end he comes yeah, out and、yeah. he's like, "There are no strings on me." And it's strings just like, on me. Yeah, what? We, I get, I get it though. I get what you're saying. Like, it's so good. You don't fully know. Well, well you don't you know, know the、um, whole plot, but like, you're like, the choice of music fits the film perfectly.、Yeah. Like, I thought the Nirvana song for the Batman trailer did well. This is such a. This is such a. <laughs> getting lost in the weeds, but you know the no, music. No, that's perfectly great. Well, the music fits what you're trying to show, and then you're building it. Like the Batman is such a great example because I we have no idea what's going on. We we don't even know if that's、mm. actually the Riddler or not.、Mm. But we get the idea that there's some dude causing chaos, and Batman's got to figure it out. It, it's、right. just good. It's well done. But anyway, I mean, even if you didn't know who Batman was, imagine just imagine for half a second. That we did not know Batman as a character prior to this trailer coming out, we didn't know anything of this character. Is that trailer set up that would make you go, "What is this?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Batman. Exactly. What it? What is this? Like a guy who's dressed up like this? He's working with cops. What is this guy? Some sort of super cop or something like that? Some sort of detective-like guy? Who is this? Why is he so strong? What? What is he? Right. Uh, and maybe that's exactly how the film is going to play out. But with that actually being said, it kind of reminds me that the way those trailers are fashioned are kind of like how the Coen Brothers movies tend to play out,、uh, story-wise, you know, synopsis-wise. Because it's like I don't necessarily, I can't pinpoint what the stereotypical plot is going to be of this film until、yeah. it's already over. By the time it's done, I can now jot down, okay, what was the plot, right, and try to. Yeah. Put little markers here and there because it's not necessarily a a linear path of conflict one after the another that you're actually knowing what's going to happen. It's more like 
things are happening and each thing is enticing in and of itself and it's just locking on to you by the time you get to the next scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be... I've only seen two Coen Brothers films, but I think there's something to be said for the way they approach storylines. And I think you really yeah. pretty much explained it earlier. Um, but from this movie and from the other one I saw, which was Inside Lewin Davis, there yeah. it feels it feels as if they they're taking like three days out of a person's life and just filming it right yeah it, it still feels like a logical storyline and we should probably break down the plot here in a second but it's it's random enough to feel real you know it, it's very interesting how they approach it yeah you know okay let's talk about the plot then right now for a second um I try to talk about the <laughs> plot because I was so surprised what ended up being uh, the biggest conflict of the story. I was like, yeah. interesting. I have I was not suspecting this. Huh? Exactly. Huh? <laughs> like every every moment I'm going like it's and it's it made me smile almost because I'm like, this movie is so fun in the non-traditional sense. It's not fun because big boom boom. It's fun because you just genuinely don't know what little thing is going to go where. And uh, and it's so it's so nice that every scene in itself is like an art art canvas. Now let me say I do have criticisms, but we'll get there. But that every scene seems to be its own contained art canvas, and I think the reason why that's the case is that I I think the movie is very meta. The word is metatextual. In that it's commentating on itself while itself is playing out. It's all, it's not a fourth wall break, in right. the sense that I'm we're talking about you know talking to the audience and talking to ourselves. But the things that it discusses are the same things that this movie in fact inhabits. Such as one of the right. movies that is happening in this film is that uh, prestige looking uh, or I should say pristine looking. Um, commoner kind of movie that the uh, Alden Ehrenreich the cowboy goes into mm. and his accent and all that's there and it's messing up and the director explains to um, um, Thanos that <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Manning <laughs> that, um, yes Eddie Eddie um, that this is an adaptation of a theater show that it, it deserves more respect you shouldn't give it to this character this person kind of thing and I, and I caught on I was like wait a minute Right. Um, many scenes and movies back in the 60s were a lot more plotted out like that of a theater in which you have consistent characters from scene to scene. You'll bring back an actor earlier on, later on, because that actor in and of themselves is a highlight. And the scene in itself is very contained to its setting and, and, and doesn't feel the need to have to run all over the place like right. a theater show. I, I especially noticed it during the dining scene between Alden Ehrenreich and that um, Latin lady, um, mm -hmm. right. that it felt like a theater show and these other characters just show up that are just these reoccurring things that seems like, is this really necessary? But in a theater show, that's what brings it its charm. Right. Um, and, and the thing is, it, it breaks that every once in a while, that theater-like aspect. I don't know where it'll be very serious and a little bit more modern and then revert back and then be a little bit more silly. So it's like, interesting. Very interesting. It, it, that is what really subverting an expectation is about. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is what I'd say is a genuine act of subverting the expectation because it's not like going with a plot point that seems obvious right. and doing the opposite. Rather, it's that I can't even tell what the plot is was going to do from the start. <laughs> right. 
Right, it's very it's very well done. But anyway, let me uh, let me just give a brief overview on the plot. Uh, so yes, basically the protagonist of the story. I say basically every time I do this plot, it's enough. <laughs> as if basically, as if these movies are so let easy. Let me break it down for you. <laughs> right. So as always, we want you guys to watch the movie before you hear. But if you haven't, and you or if you have, and it's been a while, we'll catch you up to speed. Uh, so Josh Brolin is the protagonist as Eddie Mannix. He is, uh, what does what his sign on his door say? He, he's like the director of physical film production or something like that. Who, what, it, who, what, Eddie is? Yeah. Yeah, I think Eddie that's what it was. Eddie is, it's, it's, he's, by the way, so Eddie is a real person in yes. real, in the real world. Everybody else is a parody of uh, people, actors that existed in the past, but Eddie Mannix was a film producer who oh, was, was he? Uh, wait, wait, wait! You're saying this guy actually existed? Yes, Eddie oh, Mannix like, as a person. What? Yes. What? Uh, but the, the thing is, this is a fictional tale um, that pays uh, homage to real people. But Eddie Mannix is the only one by name that actually existed. All the others are parodies of other actors that existed, but they're using different names and obviously different movies. I did not right? know that. That's. Yep, cool. Eddie Mannix, it, jo- Joseph Edgar Allen, John Eddie Mannix is his full name, um, was an American film studio executive and producer. He is remembered for his work protecting Hollywood stars as a fixer, a person paid to disguise details of the stars, often colorful private lives to maintain their public image. Mm-hmm. So he's a producer for whatever company he was. And yeah, he would go out of his way with these stars and whatever might be going around to be the fixer in the name of the production company. Mm. Yeah, shout out yeah. to Wikipedia for that. Uh, we'll link yeah, to that yeah, article that in the bio. <laughs> also, by the way, they're running a fundraiser. 275 is all it takes to keep them alive. So we'll link to that in the bio. They, they keep on asking every other month. <laughs> listen. How listen, many times? They've got to pay the people, all right? They said, your donation, at just this one-time donation, next day. Hey, guys, we're back for more. <laughs> you know, we should How get many people are running that? this site? <laughs> I don't know. Well, there's a server at least that they got to pay for, and then there's the people that monitor all the. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, yeah. So Eddie Mannix, apparently he was a real dude who uh, was a fixer, but you know he he's basically in the movie he does a lot of stuff. <laughs> he's a busy man. Kind of, <laughs> Good plot it's... point. All right, now moving on. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But it, it's almost the central. If you will, it's like a soft climax of the film. It's the soft conflict because that is really his issue. He's always busy. He's always doing something. But he has a family. And he's also running, pretty much running the show at this production company as both a fixer and just kind of a supervisor. Uh, And then the loose plot that carries us through the film is that one of their major blockbuster films that's coming out called Hail Caesar, which is where the movie gets its name, the titular, titular? Well, yeah, the main star <laughs> gets uh, <laughs> kidnapped, which is George Clooney's character, Baird Whitlock. Mm. So production comes to a slight halt. I mean, they work around it. Uh, but we find out that he was actually kidnapped by communists, <laughs> oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, plot twist. I love plot twist it. that I we should have seen coming if this was like an actual 70s movie. There's no way I could have ever guessed that that was the direction it was going to go. <laughs> yes. So very, very no surprising. No way. It's awesome. Yeah. So, so he gets 
captured by these communists who demand a ransom in order for the studio to get him back. Now, their logic behind this is they're actually screenwriters. And this is... Backstory, this is such a satire for Hollywood during the Red Scare because everyone is getting blamed as a communist. And a lot of actually... A lot of screenwriters were blamed as communists and mm-hmm. actually convicted wrongfully or rightfully. We don't know, but but yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, you know, America's always kind of been crazy, but that was an especially crazy time. That's kind of funny then in another sense. It, yeah, I think it's definitely a satire for that, but the whole film's a satire. Yes. But yeah, so they they come up with the uh, uh, the ransom. And they give it, uh, they give it over. But uh, George Clooney's character is—he's actually getting along well with the communists. <laughs> He's—he's yeah. he's finding yeah. it to be a club, and uh, a social club at that. And uh, but these writers, really, their their main goal is to get this money because they feel that they, as the common man, the people who write the films, have not been paid enough for their work. Um, while the studio is profiting from the scripts they have written. And that's why they're mad, right? Uh, And then the film introduces a slew of other characters, such as Alden Ehrenreich's character's Hobie Doyle, who's supposed to be, uh, you know, a famous movie star, more in the cowboy genre. Then you got Ralph Fiennes as Lawrence Lorenz. Yeah, basically Lawrence Lorenz is his name. (laughs) Who's like the snooty British BBC director type deal. Uh, then you got Scarlett Johansson as Deanna Moran, uh, who's, I guess, described as an Esther Williams-type actress, and so on and so forth. Tilda Swinton is a, is a reporter, but basically all of these characters push that one narrative forward uh, to, the, to the resolution of the conflict, which is the money is given over, uh, George Clooney is rescued, production continues... And all returns back to normal with the main protagonist who has been navigating this this minefield of conflicts, Josh Brolin, still doing his thing. <laughs> and that's how the film pretty much... And interestingly enough, I'll put it here because it's kind of part of the plot. Uh, a Coen Brothers technique is to begin the film and end the film almost the same way. And you see oh, that in this yeah. film because it begins with our protagonist, Eddie Mannix, confessing. Uh, to the priest because he's a Catholic and then it ends mm. the same way he's confessing to the priest and so that concludes the movie with a lot yeah. of other stuff <laughs> awkward silence <laughs> oh sorry did you say a sentence at- I heard I heard a with a lot that's what I heard <laughs> oh, oh, well there you go yeah my my connection must be no. weird but Okay, we're gonna have to cut this out, Joseph. No, Don't no. Worry. We'll, Listen, we'll make sure to cut this off. <laughs> they won't suspect a thing. I'm gonna just say, "Wow, that was a good outline, Joseph." Here I go. Three seconds. Three, two, one. Hey, that was a good outline, Joseph. Thank you for <laughs> that brief overview of the movie Hail Caesar. Well, then, in that case, let's point out some specific scenes that stood out to us because that really is a pretty broad. Um, outline for what is uh, frankly it's actually a shorter movie than most it's only like an hour and 38 minutes um, and yeah, then there's sure. credit time and it, it, for an hour and 38 minutes to have so many different things going on at once 
yeah, I mean, hey, I think that happens easier when there's not dra uh, drama scenes happening out. And what I mean by that is like melodramatic scenes playing out. Yeah. So when it's a gag or something like that, you can just or or if it's just some sort of uh, detailed scene and how fast they're speaking um, exposition scene, I should say, then it, it just plays out a little bit faster. Um, and it's not like there's like action sequences, right? They, the most yeah. of the conflicts are ones that are just character between character conflict. Um, yeah, I but mean, I guess let's. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, uh, I was just gonna say. I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm forgiven, guys. Anyway, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, it moves at a steady clip. Um, I think the pacing is actually really well done on it because yeah. I, I never, I never felt aware of the time. Uh, to the point where I was like, ah, oh, this is dragging out. And it, it you know, it, it, it captured really well his busy schedule. Because mm. the man is always moving around from place to place. <laughs> it's actually kind of cool. I, you know, I know we're going to get into scenes and whatnot. But just how brief scenes are, right? So especially yeah. those dinner scenes where he's contemplating the, the job offer. He sits mm. down. The guy says like three sentences. And then he's like, all right, got to go. <laughs> yeah exactly and i just love kind of sad i love that anyway sorry well actually that's going to play into the moral uh which we'll talk about later on but um let's talk about certain scenes and let's start with um let's start in an order of things that i can appreciate let's start with alden ehrenreich oh alden he played han solo but this is before that it was a little bit before han solo and I think this was essentially the most famous thing he had did he had done before Han Solo. Um, he comes in. I liked his cowboy scene. Um, clearly, it was a stunts thing. But for a little bit there, I was wondering, like, am I going to be able to see his acting really come to fruition here? He's not getting too many lines. He's kind of just walking around. And it really came into play when he had that comedic scene uh, with the Lawrence director. <laughs> and he was trying to have to correct him. Because I'm just like, I heard he was a good actor in this. Let me see. Right. And having to both have the accent and the demeanor and uh, the ability to fumble around and really play with uh, Lawrence, the director and all that. Um, while in a very meta sense, having a literal director in that room filming a set of a film set. Right. Um <laughs> It, it takes, yeah, a, a level of concentration. It just felt so real and fun. And when he would go back into the, uh, shooting a film, he'd act like in that awkward, uh, awkward actor <laughs> act. And it's like, it's like, I was just like, hey, I like this. And I wonder, like, how much of the stuff was real with the cowboy things? Like when he had the uh, uh, lasso and whatnot beside the car, I was like, is that real? Did, did uh, I that? think that was CG. You think I mean, it was CGI? I, I... <laughs> That takes an incredible so? amount of skill. You, you well, I mean, hey, he got paid. Listen, <laughs> he didn't have too many scenes. I, I don't know. We'd have to look it up. Well, let's also talk about the communists. <laughs> I love when... Okay, so when George Luke Clooney wakes up, I'm with George. I'm just walking through and I'm just like... I don't know if I'm supposed to be scared or <laughs> am I in trouble? And they're like, oh, go through there. He goes through there and I'd be worried if I was him. I thought they were going to threaten his life and all that. They're like, oh, please take a seat. And he's just like, okay. Yeah. I, I am so confused as to everything that's going on. What else am I going to do? Sure. Uh, I'll just sit down. He's super nonchalant and they're all talking around and all that stuff. And I'm just like, this is so funny. 
It's funny in a different way. It's not like I'm bursting out laughing. It's funny in a way that I'm smiling the whole time watching the scene because it's just like, this is so not what you'd expect to happen in this sort of scenario. And here it is playing yeah. out in a reasonable pace. And you're just like, this is happening. We're, we're sitting down with, and I didn't know they were communists. That's the funny thing is that they were talking about things. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I agree. I, I hear what they're saying. What they're, I, I, I totally understand what they're saying. History, economics, that makes sense. Yeah, I hear them, right? I'm with George Clooney the whole time. And the narrator, as they're, as they're zooming out, is just like, and that's how Baird was abducted by the communists. And I'm like, what? <laughs> know, right? what are you talking about? The communists? What are we talking about? Um, here's a little fun fact before I let you jump in here. Um, you know that guy with the mustache in the background who they kept telling to shut up um, oh, and be yeah, quiet? Yeah. Is he an actual first, communist I, in real uh, life? Well, I, I don't Fun know. Fun fact. This is a communist <laughs> no. leader in real life. Yeah, right. Because of his mustache. He just kept, he walked on on set. No, at first I thought that was uh, uh, the guy who played Doc, Doc Ock in Spider-Man. It looked like him. Oh, no. I was like, is that him? Well, no, it's actually somebody completely different. It's a guy named Dave, David Krumholtz. Krumholtz, which I'm like, well, who's that, right? I go to the images. You will not believe who this guy is. Right. You saw the original The Santa Claus with Tim Allen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember the head elf of the oh, North Pole, yeah. the tall one? Yeah. It's him. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Bernard, it's him this fat 49 year old with a mustache guy is bernard from the santa claus yeah dude how there's a picture of him when he was young and wow lots it's kind of sad because <laughs> it's like you look nothing like you did you're 40 oh he's 42 but still like wow that's dedication to the role did you did you get fat? Did you make yourself communist for the movie? It's uh, what do you call that? Um, what do you call that with that type of acting? Method acting. Method. Yeah, <laughs> in the special features, he has a whole uh, you know, a little episode where he talks about how he how he spent time in Russia in Siberia yeah. just to get to know what the Russian Soviet mind was like and how he ate nothing but Twinkies to get in shape for the role. It's kind of bad. What communists do apparently. <laughs> Hey man, what scene stuck stood out to you? Um, oh goodness! What scene you want to talk about? You know, I, there. I don't even know if a scene in general stuck out to me. I really just have like this overwhelming list, if you will. It's not even a list. It's a couple things of just moments where, and well, I'll just I'll just, I'll just explain, right? Like when he. It, it, so when George Clooney, it's funny because I'm I'm gonna piggyback off of your off of your scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When George Clooney gets gets up, it's just awesome because I think it's the best example of Coen Brothers filmmaking because he sits down right, and in a normal movie he'd just sit down and the plot would continue. But what happens? He like sits down wrong on his sword and like hurts his side. He's like ah, yeah, and he gets yeah, up. Yeah. And then on top of that, he gets up right, and it's a really tense moment. And then he there's just a woman vacuuming randomly. <laughs> like for no reason and you hit on it earlier exactly. but it's just so awesome there's so many things in this movie that are random and make it feel so real because in reality things just don't they just don't they're not as smooth as cinema 
would like us to believe. And it's crazy because the rule of movies is don't make it like real life because people don't want that. But the Coen brothers constantly do that. You know, other examples are like the suitcase when when he has it stuffed full of money. He can't close it. It's like, that's actually a real problem that would happen. (laughs) And there's so much interruption of dialogue. Like when you actually speak in real life, actually on this podcast right now, you know, you interrupt each other. It's just... It's kind of how conversation works, but in movies, that's often not the case. So, right. anyway, I have a question for you. Uh, what yes. did you think about the narration? What do you mean? Well, you know how there's like a, a dude question. that randomly like narrates certain parts of the movie, not the whole movie, but select parts of the movie. Yeah, I actually can't tell who that's supposed to be. I heard that that was. <sighs> I, I, I don't know. I, I If you're asking whether or not I like it, no, I don't mind it at all. I think it actually, um, I think that goes into part of the moral um, and what these directors might be saying with this film. And it's, it's not a lot. And honestly, I think they kind of are just talking with us as an audience. They're just saying things and wanting to say, you know, they're just starting that conversation with some things. If I'm going to jump into moral, I know you're asking about the narration, but it's just like, well, I yeah. think what they're doing is, is that that's supposed to be like that of a, of a, of a deistic commentator of, of uh, Eddie's reality. And mm-hmm. since Eddie Mannix is a real person, unlike all these other people in this story, it's, it's talking about his reality and his higher purpose. And every time he's narrating, it's almost as if it's always within the crucial point points. There are, if we really want to get into this, I'm, I'm, I'm having to talk to everybody listening to this podcast. I just watched this movie, and so did Joseph. But there's actually deeper messages going on in this than I think many of the other uh, Coen Brothers movies have. And what I mean by that is that the symbolisms and subtlety of the symbolisms throughout the film are purposefully subtle that those who are either in the movie industry can catch it or those who just are expecting there to be these, you know, sort of metaphors going on are catching it. Because at first I didn't notice. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, wait a minute. And one of those things are this idea. (sighs) The, The higher powers, if you will. Communism in itself right was in its own society considered like that of a religion without that of being a religion right it is in its nature competitive with that of other religions right they find the higher power to be that of the higher state right and they give off their cause when they're in the boats off to the submarine these angelic chants are going off and they're passing it off go do it for the higher cause and it's paralleled again with george clooney when he is with uh filming the scene of the christ and his whole speech um, is leading up and speaking upwards and this angelic thing and then is immediately cut off with this idea of faith. And a lot of this stuff is getting wrapped up with Josh Brolin when he goes to the priest once again, simply asking that oftentimes the higher calling is that which is the hard thing to do and not necessarily what is the easy thing because the easy thing may even feel good but what feels best is when one is fulfilled through doing what is hard. And so all that to say is that I believe the narrator is purposefully placed there to make one realize that this story is supposed to have some sort of transcendent meaning 
that without the narrator is only uh, in and of itself. But having a narrator uplifts it to being more than just we're looking at their lives. Somebody else is worthy of explaining what is going on internally in that person. I know that was a lot. <laughs> no, 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 that was really good. I think that, I think that, yeah, I kind of, I concur, if you will. That's good. Yes. Yeah, it, it, you yeah, know, it never felt, good. sometimes you, there's voiceover and it just feels annoying. But yeah, I don't, that never, I never felt that way with this movie. I was just like, oh, cool. And I, I think it also adds to the satire of the film because, like, you know, the this film is really designed to poke fun at the world back then and and you're like well i thought i thought you said it was immoral well yeah that's the whole point of satire it's to evoke immoral through making fun of something if you will. i think it's even the film itself is described as a comedy which for those of you who might want to watch it for laughs I, it's not necessarily a comedy that's going to make you laugh but it's a comedy in the sense that it's it's there's irony at play and it. it's almost as if you're watching one of those classic newspaper cartoons that that pokes fun at something um and i think the narration is just part of that because back then you know the narration maybe played a bigger part so how'd you feel about channing tatum actually being a communist <laughs> um you know and then once you answer that i also want to know what you felt about his character in this movie actually being a communist <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> Holy cow! Okay, I didn't. See in that, that order, please. Um, no, um, but so yeah, in the movie, <laughs> I, I didn't know Channing Tatum was actually a communist in real life, but you know, no, it's a free I, no, country. <laughs> so, as long as you don't take over the country and make it not a free country, it, we're sure. good. Uh oh! You just triggered our communist fans. Did you not realize we have half a million Russians listening to us? Oh wait, Russians aren't communist. Russians anymore. aren't communist anymore. <sighs> I wonder what Russian think veterans they, listening to us right now. If they watch these movies. What was that? I, I was just like, I wonder if they watch these movies. I, they, they probably don't, but yeah. I wonder if they like if America is the enemy in their films a lot of the time. <laughs> It'll be capital. It's reversed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Okay, but yeah, how'd you feel about Burt Gurney? See, you don't even remember that name, Channing Tatum, <laughs> in this movie, uh, actually being a communist. You know, it was just super weird. Is yes. is just how I felt. Because when they when they shot that scene where uh, Alden Ivanreich's character finds out, it, it was like so suspenseful. And it's like, oh my gosh. And it's normally when a film does that, you're like, oh wow, it was that guy. But instead, mm -hmm. you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> you yeah. know. And, and it, it's fine. I, I don't think it it makes the plot worse. I don't know that it. It only makes the plot weirder, which is what this film is kind of going for. So I guess it's good. Yeah. You know, that whole scene where he like, with the sub, I was just like, what happened? Where, yeah. where is this going? <laughs> what is this? Oh, man, it was weird. I guess he just abandoned his acting career for, you know. No, no, don't you see? It was actually that he was a communist spy. Right. And he was acting in a film, just as uh, Han Solo. Am I really going <laughs> to go by their most famous title? Han Solo and Thanos. No. Um, Alden Ehrenreich was saying is that you got to look at those uh, extras and all that. And I, I didn't think he was an extra. But, but he's not an extra. He was doing yeah, exactly. the whole dance number. He was a communist spy the whole time. And these guys were the uh, United States Communist Party. Um, 
and they said no you must take the money for the for the main cause and <laughs> he's so flamboyant it's it's funny i'm like wait a minute is this supposed to be serious or not <laughs> apparently not <laughs> even <laughs> I, I thought it was i thought they were filming on a set I thought they were filming on a set at first because the moon and all that looked so fake. And I was just like, is this real? Is this a dream or something? Then when they threw the suitcase and it went under the water, it rose up because of the air pocket. My natural thought is, oh, quick, jump in. Get it. Everybody just watched it go down. I'm like, what is going on? And then he takes the That's $100,000. Oh, man. This doesn't make sense. Not that it's stupid, it was funny, but it's just like, why did we do everything we just did? As if it wasn't that valuable or something. Well, again. Moreover, moreover, is not this submarine traveling all the way to the United States and this entire process of what they've done more expensive than $100,000? Listen. I don't don't understand. This is a satire. (laughs) It's not supposed to make sense. I mean... We could also talk about how the woman's scarf got caught in the Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. But... It probably is doing a wink at, like you said, the screenwriters and how so many people were claiming them to be communists. And they were yeah. and, and and the directors are like, Oh yeah, they're communists, alright. They're they're getting their paddle boats off the coast and sending off the suitcase of money off to a submarine from the communists. That's what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's definitely critiquing. I mean, the whole movie is critiquing that era, and it's not even just the communists. It's like that mm. the way movies were made. Movies were so you know, it's so weird when people people will tell me the golden age of Hollywood, and they'll use it to describe this '50s era where every single movie was the same. Basically, there was some you know female protagonist and some other dude and they fell in love and there was some storyline about it and i'm just like those movies were so cut and dry there was no real substance to them i don't know it well actually i think there's a a pretty big reason as to why that's the case okay i i believe that it was done that way because back in a time for where there weren't the quantities of movies being released as we were as we have today um and in a time for where a production company may get let's let's just say in a good year six movies done right yeah, let's just say right. maybe more it just depends um if it's going nationwide um you don't write stories that are creative and and stretching the bounds because you know what works you're doing it for money but moreover what the audience wants is hope what audience wants is romance that's what what sells it's what they want to see and even though it's redundant it's what they expect from their film knowing that there's only so many films that come out in a year this idea of there there's no nihilistic ideas there's always a happy ending it's very odd it's very front you know it's very onward looking right wizard of oz style filmmaking right right um especially after the wars especially after the wars well yeah but and that's fair like I totally agree, but why why do people look to that as like the best years of Hollywood when I think now, well maybe not so much now with, you know, the blockbuster craving that the world has, but you know, perhaps in a time where there are so many films and there are there is so much room to experiment and be creatively different, uh, 
you know, it, it's just it's just weird to me that people would look and call, say the golden age of Hollywood. Oh, it was so much better back then when it it <laughs> wasn't. You know, it, people. Yeah, you yeah. know, they'll sit me down and we'll watch some old movie and it's like winner of twenty Academy Awards. I'm like, well, there was only no. like six movies. Like, I mean, it wasn't that hard. Uh, yeah, I, I feel the same way actually with Citizen Kane. It actually yeah. gets me angry. <laughs> gets <laughs> me angry. Because uh, the, the, it came out, like, I think two years after The Wizard of Oz. But everybody throws up Citizen Kane like, look at the revolutionary shot of... I went... To, this is what I saw on film class, guys. Look at the revolutionary shot of it hovering above her face. It's very, ooh, menacing. And it's like, dude, this doesn't even have color. And now I know you're probably going to say, eh, but that's not every... I know it's not everything. <laughs> But like a painting, okay, color will make so much more of a difference when it comes to expressing emotion and tone of a shot, or, or just the, <laughs> the sets, special effects, musical yes. numbers, the dance, all the above, right? All that was in like Wizard of Oz, revolutionary. But you're making to make me watch Citizen Kane because why? Why? <laughs> why is that oh, so crazy? Wow. <sighs> <laughs> I, you know, I think sometimes, I think for back then it was, it was probably really groundbreaking and sometimes people and no, <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. That's I'm telling, see, you, you're getting paid off. You're, you're, your film, uh, writers, the, your, 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 your film, your film class uh, teachers were communists <laughs> and they, and they're paying you off to say this. Don't listen to him guys. He's been compromised. Well, um, <laughs> this is how I feel about The Godfather, though. People are always like, oh, The Godfather was a turning point in film. And I watched it, and I'm like, this is just, you know, it's all right. I didn't think it was, like, great. I actually haven't seen it, so I don't know. Oh, <laughs> well. But if you want us to watch that film, everybody, just put down into the comments out. Yeah. Just comment, like, an emoji with a little blade and, like, a heart and, like, an Italian dude. Hey, you want to know something really crazy? Sure. And I just saw this while looking through the cast. You know the submarine that came up and the guy who came out of it? Uh, sure. I don't really remember him, but sure. Exactly. I didn't see his face, right? Yeah. I, didn't, I was like, well, who's that? That was Dolph Lundgren. Lundgren? Lundgren? Okay. That was the guy who played uh, um, in Rocky IV, the Russian boxer. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was him. That's the, the, the Swedish actor. He he's in a bunch of stuff, but that's the one movie that's coming to my mind. <laughs> that's so. That is like the ultimate satire of this film. I could, if I saw it in a theater, probably I would have been able to see his face. But it's just like that's just funny. It's like really, you you flew him all the way out here just to get him to be in the <laughs> communist submarine ship. Well, oh. this this hold on. Its budget was I think it was twenty two million. Let me just fact check that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah it is. Twenty two million. Yeah, so literally they spent you know five million on shooting, and the rest was just <laughs> all the actors yeah, and actresses. Probably, yeah, probably. And the directors, I guess. Wonder how much they one get paid. one one last actor call out. Okay. Clancy Brown. I like Clancy Brown. I want him in more movies. Wait, Clancy Brown that? was the guy who was with. He was the guy who was with uh, George Clooney. And he was next to him, uh, the Roman in the crucifixion oh, scene. Oh, he did look familiar. You know who he is? Uh, you know who that? Well, That's who? Mr. Krabs. <laughs> oh, intriguing. 
He's Mr. Krabs, but he plays in a lot of decent stuff in the backgrounds here and there, but really where he shined was in a video game, a cinematic video game called Detroit Become Human, in which you make these decisions and all that. It's not an action-based game, it's a, a decision-based game, um, in which an entire story plays out, and his acting in it was very, very good. I wish he did more, <laughs> because he's actually a good actor. Well, I'm sure he's got a little... He was in Thor Ragnarok, apparently. Yeah, well, I, wasn't he like the giant demon or something? He was the giant demon oh, okay. that destroyed everything. That makes sense, because I don't remember seeing him. <laughs> yeah, he was the giant monster that destroyed everything. Yeah, but that's fun, though. Like, voice acting, man, that's where it's at. Because then you just sit in the studio, and you just, like, read the script, and you're, like, just yeah. have fun with it. That, that's fun. Well, to be fair, he's getting more movie roles than any of the other cast in SpongeBob, so he, he's getting some going for him. I mean, who else? Tom Kenny's not saying I'm standing next to George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, I'm kind of, I'm a little sad for Alden Ehrenreich because, you know, this was kind of a big film for him. And then Star Wars would supposedly have been the next logical step. And then, of course, everyone hated that film for like no reason. And now I hope he makes some other cool stuff because I think he's pretty, yeah. pretty decent actor. You know, it's actually after watching this film, you know what it what it was with Solo is that I think he genuinely looked like Han Solo more in this movie than he did in the Han Solo movie. Yeah. And, you know, the reason why I think that is because he had the stubble on his face, face in the Han Solo movie. It looked all rugged. It looked all rugged and crunchy. Um, and he was also thicker. He was super skinny in this movie compared to the second one in which he was a little bit more muscular or whatnot. And I think that might have been a bad decision. I think they should have made him as young and... and young looking as possible just like in this movie right um well but i don't know i mean that's the thing like who's walking into the han solo movie thinking i want this to look just i mean we know it's not han solo or harrison ford we know that i mean do you would you sure. rather have had one of those cgi face doubles you know for the whole film i hope not because that would have been stupid the so, sad thing the sad thing is is that there's actually a lot to this to this controversy Right, that I actually, after seeing this film, I do like Alden. I do like him, and I think he actually, after watching this film, is like, yeah, that'd be that makes that's a logical choice for a Han Solo. Yes. Um, I think I'd have to blame uh, the costumers and all that because I really think that they may have gone down the wrong path when designing the way he should look. But at, there's a there was another actor who played the younger version of Harrison Ford in other movies of him, and uh, he looks literally like him. But wait, then again, wait, wait, which guy? What, what, what do you mean? Who's that? You don't. Okay, well, give me half a second. Harrison Ford. <laughs> the Age though. of Adeline was the movie. The Age of Adeline was the movie okay. that he was in. If you look up, look up young Harrison Ford, Age of Adeline, you will get thrown across the room right now. It wasn't CGI. It was it just a it was just an actor who looked exactly like him. He did impressions and all that on YouTube, and he got the role. Um, okay, I see the guy. You know, do you see it? I mean, it's it's yeah, it's close. It's literally him. <laughs> I mean, I'm. It it looks like a different. Oh, okay, I see this picture where he's smirking. Okay, do the young one. Do the young. You got to see a GIF or something. You got to see a GIF. Okay, well, what is he just not experienced enough for Star Wars? That's probably what it was. Then I think it was that he's not actually that good of an actor, probably. Yeah. But if you looked at the interviews, see, this is that why the controversy is a controversy is that 
they said the the directors the original directors of the han solo movie they said that um alden ehrenreich was the first person out of 400 people who auditioned for han solo and they just went with the first guy they they were like oh you know what it, it was him it was him right and part of me makes me think like if that's true it, it, it makes me doubt the legitimacy of what they may have been testing out. It doesn't seem like it was a matter of the acting on this guy's part, but maybe the favoritism. But at the same time, I also don't know the extent of this guy's acting because he only played a flashback Harrison Ford. He was only in it for like two minutes of total yeah. screen time. So he may have not actually he may not actually be a good actor, but he looks Listen, like a young Harrison Ford. The, the point is, it should not matter. The quality of the movie should not hinge upon whether the dude looks like another dude who played the character a long time ago, right? If he is acting in a way that's good and reminiscent of the character, that should be enough to carry the storyline. I mean, you know, like if you're walking in there expecting a Harrison Ford literal copy, you're going to be disappointed. And I wasn't expecting that, and I thought it was a pretty good movie. So. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really... um... Uh, I did see so much potential in Alden's uh, Alden's performance in uh, Solo, but I actually wanted more of what is him and not what's an impersonation of someone else and to see something more original. Because when you're watching Solo, you're thinking of Han Solo. So it's like, I want to see something that he does of himself, of his own character that was given to him personally so I don't have to think of another actor. And when I saw him in this film, I'm like, this is fun. I like him. I want to see more of him. And yeah. so I was really happy with his performance with what he did in here. It makes me want to see more of him. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully he gets uh, he gets some more stuff to work with. But yeah, I mean, just just great cast overall. Which you know, the sad thing about movies like this that have such a great cast. You know, I, I think of um, the the Murder on the Orient Express. Did you see that one, the remake? I I have not. Yeah, I mean, it's I all right. I, I don't. I don't really recommend it. It's okay. Oh, <laughs> never mind. I won't. Well, no, no, you definitely should to form your own opinion. I'm just saying it's not like show stopping. But anyway, it's very mm-hmm. similar in that you've got, I mean, like at, there's in the original book, there's like 15 characters and like every character in the movie is played by an A-lister movie star, you know? And, and when you get to that point in the movie, it just feels like, you know, there is a purpose for, uh, what, what's the word? What's the word? What's the word they use in the movie? Um, extras. There's a purpose for extras. Oh, yeah. There's a purpose for people who aren't yet that big, and yet um, and yet get roles in films because they're supposed to be forgettable. And this film chooses not to do that, which could be argued is part of the satire because they have that whole discussion on extras and not, and the fact that this movie literally does not have anyone that's not important i mean you just gave us a list of people that are i mean the dude that pops out of the submarine for like 30 seconds is like actually a pretty big movie star (laughs) so right all that to say i it it takes away from their performance and it's a little sad when you see like your favorite movie star and they only get a minute of screen time but uh, at the same time you know maybe you guys have to decide whether that's part of what this movie is trying to do or not right so yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, i had a blank out i don't know why don't ask why i was looking at all of the things clancy brown has done don't mind me (laughs) (laughs) 
goodness. See, this is what happens when you keep casting uh, a bunch of really famous people in every single role. Now I'm yeah. getting distracted by what those people did in other movies that I'm not even focusing on what they're doing in this movie. Anyway. But, you know, it's a cool film, but I, I have to say, I don't know that I like Coen Brothers films from what I've seen. Oh, yeah? I, I didn't dislike this film, but I, it didn't excite me, you know? And, and the same way I felt about Inside Lewin Davis, they, they intentionally make the film grounded, and they intentionally make the film feel realistic, and maybe as an audience member, I just don't really appreciate that as much. You know, I actually do, I do like their films, but it's for a very unique re reason that I know others wouldn't. And it's not, it's casual. It's very casual in its approach. It doesn't want to take itself as being a cinematic um, event. Yeah. It is supposed to be something that's easy to bring in. You know, I was just going through articles a second ago when looking at the uh, Hail Caesar stuff. And some people were saying that, oh, here's a quarantine film to watch, you know. It's not really something for where, like Star Wars and all these other types of movies, it's not even, let, let's say, something that is bigger, but is a more subtle story than science fiction. Um, um, what is it called? The one with the uh, Russian and American exchange of spies. Bridge of Spies. Um, Bridge of Spies is a grounded in the real world events, um, but it has good actors, Tom Hanks and all that. Um, bigger budget and bigger uh, box office and it's very eventful very emotional very impactful right very cinematic these movies don't really care about being eventful and cinematic in that sense it, I think they're very casual of that things are happening and like an episode of a show you're just kind of going along for the ride to see little fun performances and that they're not trying to be the next big whoa thing. It's just something that you watch for fun around sometime, you know? Like, hey, let's put this in. Something more casual. Something that won't make me have heartburn at 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Highly specific. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like no giant bases going boom, ba -ba -da 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 -da, right? It's the conflicts <laughs> are subtle. And yeah. even the villains are fun. They're funny in a sense. And it's just like interesting i thought it was going to go down a big old bomb route when they started showing off the nuclear power and all that yeah. um but they didn't actually bring that to fruition so it's like huh yeah huh. yeah that was that was weird little snippet yeah i think it has something to do with just the way audiences are fed today i mean we're fed on blockbusters and we're fed on really fast and action-packed films and i I, that's why I said I don't think this is a bad film and I, it's not that I didn't like it it's that I as a modern audience member have to adjust to watch a film like this and I think that is really cool and that's why I will keep watching Coen Brothers films because it, it places me in a unique situation where I'm not leaving the theater thrilled or, or excited or extremely angry because they did something wrong with a character that I loved I don't know Yeah. but it leaves me in a different situation where I'm, I'm reflecting on a film that is specifically artistic. It's not a throwaway film at all, but it's, like you said, very casual, very laid back, very, very unique. I, I, there's a place for these films in society, and that's why they keep being made, and I'm really happy for that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I want more movies like this, only so that every movie isn't supposed to be a 1,000 
billion dollar budget movie that has every universe colliding into one supernova and we need the big boom boom to make the collapse right or something like that yeah. something that's a little bit more grounded yet not a real life event something that's fun something yeah. that's fun actually to to make a final point with that is that um these actors are almost always used for the those kind of big event kind of movies and sometimes it's just fun to bring them back down to earth and have something a little bit more subtle something that isn't so crazy and uh something a little bit more fun i say the word fun a lot because you know i was just constantly smiling throughout this whole film but it's yeah. not a high adrenaline film either it's just something that's like all right i i can groove with this this is fun but not everybody's gonna feel that way yeah no yeah it's definitely fun if if we could sum it up that'll be our like our uh our one word newspaper review fun period fun hail caesar's fun <laughs> yeah oh, like I on see. the on the movie case they put it spoiled fun. onion says fun <laughs> fun yeah. all right so well, should we give it a yeah oh, oh okay give all it right. a rating yes that's what i was just about to say yeah okay well joseph you say the rating first and then i'll say mine oh darn it i wanted you to go first <laughs> well, fine i'll go first here i go you ready yes you ready yeah. 85 85 85 okay 85 yeah 85 that's that's pretty all right yeah okay i'm thinking oh i actually didn't really give this much thought till two seconds ago um i think i have to say oh man it's hard all right i'm just gonna go with 70 and my just my justification is that while this is a good film uh, it's just not one that will stick with me, and it's not one that I, I think has rewatchability. So, wow, that's interesting. You know what? And that's the beauty of films. This is the first time I'm going to say this in Spoil Onions is that sometimes there's just some movies out there that are not so insanely divisive. There's not, you know, a million reasons or such excruciating scenes that for one person is the most awful thing ever, and then for another is the be most beautiful thing ever, right? It's just that sometimes certain tones and certain narratives, you know, just resonate and bring some sort of feeling to one person that is enjoyable. And to the yeah. others, like, yeah, I understand that, but it's just not really my taste. Just like with food and uh, just like with novels. There's just certain styles that per people like uh, more and that doesn't make it bad. It just makes it something that certain people have a taste for. And for me, I, I kind of like uh, relaxing a little bit and not having to worry about going to the bathroom and pee uh at the movie theater when i have to go and i can come back and not have the entire planet have blown up by the time i get back <laughs> yeah you know i would like to see one of their films in the theater i think that'd be interesting because that's definitely a different if theater survive you know rip but um <laughs> i think it'd yeah, be yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's funny the reason too. I deducted uh, no, 15 ahead, points too is because I think the tone oftentimes is shifting. And I don't know if it's necessarily a negative thing, but um, moments for where it genuinely could have been a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scene. That it's almost ironic because I, I know what's happening when it's happening. George Clooney, when he's doing that big speech at the end, yes. I myself was emotional. I myself was getting teary with the music and all that playing. That it's like... You know, this is some good dialogue right here. The, the yeah. writer did a really good job, and then they cut it off for a quick gaff. You know, and it's just like you know, you could have did the, you could have waited on the gaff until he was done with the speech, 
but it, I get I get what they were trying to do there. But you could have probably given me at least something to bring home with and brag about a scene. But you exchanged it all for a short laugh and or a short giggle, when you could have given me something that was genuinely impactful, even almost in an ironic sense. Because clearly, as directors, you know exactly what you're doing. The directors of this movie are Jewish, which is funny. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes into more of those commentaries of what's happening throughout the film. It's just like they themselves aren't Christian, yet they're capable of writing a story that would use the you know, we know what you know resonates with people. We know what gets them emotional. And they're right. It gets me, got me emotional. And they just cut it off for a quick gaffe. So, I don't know. Maybe that was just for some fun for the directors and uh, people who are in Hollywood who know those those gimmicks. That when that didn't happen the way that they expected, it really is funny for them. They're like, <laughs> they're like, they're laughing their heads off when it's just like, haha, we're not gonna give it to you. We're gonna this because it's the reality for the actor. The actor does mess up like that. And it's not resonating with them like it does the audience because they're the ones who keep messing up their lines. Yeah. Um, so for moments like that, it doesn't make it a perfect film of whatever style it's trying to do. I think it it gets to uh, it'll exchange really uh, monumental scenes for a gaffe, and I feel like that's a, that's something that's lost. Yeah, I agree, but I think it's ultimately part of the satire. So, right, take it as you will. But yeah, all right. Put a bow on this guy. So, awesome. Thanks so Close much. Close it out. <laughs> <laughs> These pauses, man. Thanks so Close much for out. joining us for... What, what episode? No, I don't do it know. again because I'm yelling. Oh, okay. All right, pause. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's go. Let's put a bow on this guy. Um, you know, I don't even know what episode. I won't know until really it publishes because I kind of lost track, but... We're we're nearing the ten mark, which is uh, which is a milestone. <laughs> so, if you guys have listened, if you guys have listened to every episode up until this one and this one included, I mean, congrats, that's awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for sticking around. Yeah, exactly. This podcast is made possible from viewers like you mm-hmm. and Thank Wikipedia, you. who sponsored. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> no but yeah uh really this is this is uh something we we have a lot of fun doing and uh it, it helps us when we know people are enjoying it as well so if you do like it uh whatever platform you're on subscribe follow uh, do whatever it takes to make sure that you are notified when an episode goes live or goes on yeah you get the point and yeah uh, <laughs> feel free to like and uh yeah pretty soon we should have a way where you can uh actually go to the instagram because uh, pretty soon we're gonna have a way where you can vote directly on what kind of films you'd like us to watch um, but of course always just leave a comment on a youtube video or uh, and tell us what you'd like us to see next thank you for watching the spoiled onion show my name is brandon and that was jojo and we'll Joe, see yeah. you next week in the next movie uh podcast all right bye-bye Bye, bye, bye. Anyway. Okay, well, I'm happy for you, bro. I'm, <laughs> Did you I'm not so like happy. the movie? I didn't. You what? never told me this before. I didn't want to ruin it for you. Justin. I thought you were on my side. That, I, I was just happy that you liked it. I gave uh. you this speech before. Now, I can't believe the people listening are going to have to hear this. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Joseph, this is my philosophy with the Star Wars movies. If somebody genuinely likes the sequels, if somebody genuinely likes the spinoffs and all that, I like I like uh, Rogue One. I see its flaws though, um, but but you don't I like really, Solo. Wow. 
I personally really don't like Solo. Oh my um, gosh. There are there it's better, I'll say this, it's better than all the sequels. It's better than all the sequels, I'll say that. Um but I even like Rogue One more than uh Solo. Um and there's a few different reasons. But the thing is, is that I didn't care to tell you those things because when you told me you genuinely liked it, I didn't want to convince you otherwise. I, I, I want people to like what they like. If it, bring, it brings them happiness, like the movie, it's like they actually enjoy it. It's like, what kind of sicko would I be to be like, no, you need to hate it like me. I want you to suffer like I do. It's like, no, I, my hope is that people like the movies that they go and see and that I could like the movies I go and see. Um why would I want to jeopardize that? That's Wait, so what movies what was, are for. In, in a nutshell, what was your biggest problem with it? That he didn't look like Harrison Ford? I was not convinced that this was uh, Han Solo. Oh, goodness. All right. So and... let me put it this way. <laughs> Remove Han Solo from the equation. Erase every Star Wars film that's ever been made except that one. Is it a good right. film? R- r- remove Han Solo. What do you like mean? remove the seventies movies? Make this uh, just an original film about some random dude named Han Solo. Is it a good film? Actually, there's the sense of that it falls a little flat, and where it okay. falls flat actually does come down to some acting parts. But it's actually the story's fault, and I don't blame the original directors. I blame the the directing problems that the movie went through. Um, right. And the reshoots and all that. I know I know exactly what, how, why it ended up like it did. And so much of it is hinged on the fact that you already know what happens. That when you see these things play out the way they do, if you didn't know those other things, it would make you think, so what? So what about this gambler? Who is he? I don't yeah. care. Right? And, and they gave me no reason to to expect that I should care. Other than that, that is Lando. Right. It's in fact, like you said, remove everything else. Then what is it? That's actually my point is, is that this movie is only capable of being as good as it can be by acknowledging those other films. That if you were to watch all the Star Wars movies in chronological order, that when you saw that for the first time, you would just think, well, that was awfully random. There was a lot of things happening that didn't really seem to have a significance of itself. Right. Things like the Kessel Run are only made significant because of what the other movies establish. And when you understand like certain key plot elements of what's going on and, and are they just dismissed on another second, Lando liking a robot, then not liking a robot, you know, the robot resistance and then no robot resistance. And it's just like, mm, things are just it. happening. The girl was on the planet. Han Solo said he's coming back for her, but then almost completely forgets about her the moment he gets freedom. Um, and then it's like, you join the empire, you know, you could drop out. I don't even know how he got as far as he did with the Empire, but even those things are plot plot holes. Uh, but these, you know, those ideas of like, how did you get off? And she's just like, how did you get out of it? She's like, I didn't. It's just like, well, it looks like you kind of did. It's just like, well, no, I'm not. I'm just a slave to a different person. And it's just, you know, it, it's hinging on that there is more going on outside of this that we don't know. And frankly, because of its reception, we will never know. And it's like, it's not, it's not good. That's fair. That's, that's, yeah. That's sorry, Joseph. Genuine. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. That's Hail Caesar. <laughs> yeah. All right, let, let's bring it back home to Hail Caesar. So this will have to be like a, the Christmas double feature special. <laughs> so, yeah yeah so we'll put in parentheses and a han solo rant <laughs> you know what you probably should <laughs> no no no. listen listen i'll just edit that part out 
and it'll be like a mini sode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just be like you put it in the post. You put it in the post credits. The post credits. Yeah. You'll put the <laughs> and then you'll have that going at the end there as an well, extra. That's fair though. I'll give that to you. But anyway. Oh man. <laughs> So yeah, um, cool. Here well, you're gonna have to figure out how you're gonna edit this back into there. <laughs> watch this, watch this. 